Hey everyone, it's Maurice. Before we start the show, I want to thank you all for listening and for your support, especially our Patreon members. If you're not a member of our Patreon page yet, check it out at patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you get an ad-free version of this episode. You get access to behind-the-scenes clips and videos, information on upcoming articles and reviews, and so much more. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path. All right, let's get on with the show. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design invests in building and teaching designers using the best tools for the job. I asked product designer Steven Song what he has learned about design since working at Facebook. Um, design isn't all about just like, you know, the pixels or the documents that you have, but it's also about how do you get something to, you know, end up in the product and how do you utilize the relationships you have with your team, like your engineers and your product managers to make sure something gets built. So that's one of the biggest things that I've learned about design, um, especially at a place like Facebook. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Buffer is looking for a mobile product designer for a remote position. Design Action Collective is looking for a web developer slash front-end developer, as well as a production designer slash graphic designer in Oakland, California. AARP in Washington, D.C. is looking for an editorial director. And General Design Co. in Washington, D.C. is looking for a graphic designer. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Whether it's beautiful digital art, handy tools to help you do your work, or a site for your project or cause, you'll find things on Glitch that remind us the web can still be a fun, creative place full of unexpected surprises. Get started today at Glitch.com. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. Millions of people and businesses around the world trust MailChimp to publish the right content to the right person at the right place at the right time. Build your brand, sell your stuff, find your people, and tell the world your story. Sign up for a free account today and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. We have a new review this week from Apple Podcasts. 
This comes from namey underscore namey and it's titled finally. Here it is. All I have is finally. I think they meant to say all I have is finally here. Anyway, uh, we can do anything if we keep talking and listening. Namey Namey, thank you so much for that five-star review. If you're listening or if anyone else is listening and you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher, please do so. We'll read it right here on the show. Now for this week's interview. We're ending out our month on Atlanta artists and the art scene here on Revision Path with local artist and Renaissance man Sean Foy. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Sean Foy, and I'm a artist, creator. I, I am a graphic designer, illustrator, author. I throw events, and I know I do one more thing. I do a lot of stuff. I work with film. <laughs> I just want to make dope shit, basically. So you're like Mr. Atlanta, basically. I guess. I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> what some people say. I did win creative loafins best of like local renaissance man in 2014 but oh, nice. i didn't give myself that nickname <laughs> well congratulations to you i appreciate it thank you <laughs> talk to me about some of the work that you're doing right now i just released my third book under over the edge publishing it's called chocolate cover honey buns it was released maybe two months ago in the during this summer 2018 it's a uh, book of poetry and short stories where I kind of just talk about my adventures in Atlanta. And it's one of those books where it's a coffee table read, no page numbers. You can pick it up at any page and start the story there because they're all pretty much individual stories. So right now I'm just on a mini book tour. I just got back from LA. I'll be going to New York in September and I did a book reading out here. And when I get back from New York, I should be doing one more book reading as well as uh working on a film with a friend of mine uh modu and it's kind of we're doing an artist profile of m- myself and i'm gonna release that as well man you're working hard trying to stay busy man <laughs> what was the inspiration behind this third book after my second book and you can find all three of these books online at amazon.com or barnesandnobles.com after this release of my second book I started writing the third book and I kind of find myself found myself in a stagnant place. Couldn't really find any stories to write just because I just finished the second one and some time had passed. And then long and behold, I went through a little bit of heartbreak and nothing moves you like pain, I guess. And I'm always like, listen, if I'm going to be in pain, let me commodify it at least. (laughs) (laughs) So so that really, uh, I guess, kickstarted me writing. And then I had a good friend, well, excuse me, I have a good friend, Trevor. He had a lake house. He was like, we were both kind of going through heartbreak at the same time. He was like, man, I got a lake house. Let's go out there and just do work. I'm like, yo, this would be perfect. Get out of the city. So we would go out there on the weekends and just buy alcohol and get work done and i just started writing furiously and that's how the third book pretty much came about (laughs) nice yeah it's nothing like getting out of the city for a minute just to like clear your head are you doing any kind of design or illustration work right now or you just focusing on the book a lot of focus on the book but i just as i mentioned my friend trevor he started a company called straight to tell it's kind of like a creative slash animation house and i'm working with him right now doing design and illustration there so 
I do that during the day and at night I kind of work on my own things and I'm working on some new prints and some new watercolor paintings as well as pushing the book. So, Okay. So tell me more about your career here in Atlanta. Like, of course, we've had, you know, just this month we've been focusing on Atlanta artists. We've had Goldie Gold. We've had Fahamu Peku. We also talked with Lisa Babb over at Museum of Design Atlanta. And every one of them has had their own kind of unique perspective on how the city is as it relates to kind of just art and design. I'm really curious to hear about it from you. Like I said, before we started recording, I've been following your work for a long time. What has it been like for you as a working artist here? So to answer that question, <laughs> I guess we were talking earlier before we started recording, like Atlanta's a weird place. It's a, uh, I don't think the city finds the importance of design or has the important, understands the importance of design yet. There are pockets of individuals who get it, but for financial stability, I don't think freelancing in Atlanta is the strongest sometimes. Like, and I've been able to do it for eight years and I've, you know, I'm blessed to be able to have done it for eight years. But like we were talking about, I, I got a lot of my money that would help sustain me outside of the city. And when I got good projects in the city, it was always like a good look, and a great surprise. But I still think Atlanta is growing in that sense and coming to understand what design is, what good design is and building from there. I mean, if I was to start, should I start from the beginning of my career or sure. should I? Yeah, we got time. Start from the beginning. So like, yeah. How long have I been in Atlanta now? Nine going on 10 years almost. Okay. And I came out here, you know, for the opportunity, like the irony is I came out here in the heat of the recession mm. thinking I was like, oh, I'll find design work out here, which was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I came out here and it took some time and I ended up getting a job and then I was working this job, but I was still broke. And it came time, I came to a point where I was like, well, if I'm still going to be broke and I'm working. Why not work for myself? Mm-hmm. And in that thinking, I uh, was fortunate enough to pick up a design job that took care. It was a really large paying one, took care of me for the summer off of just this one gig. And so I quit my old job and I was like, I'm just going to go in all the way freelance and see what happens. So during all of that time, this is how I kind of collected doing all these other things that I do. During the time of freelancing, the work dried up and I had to figure out legal ways to make money. And (laughs) (laughs) I would throw rent parties. I would just work odd jobs, paint all kind of things that kind of led me to who I am now. And if not for those times, I wouldn't be where I'm at, which is why, you know, I still throw events here. I do an event called Pretty Sweet. It's a summertime party with my homie Word Life. You know, even the art shows and selling art and learning how to be a better marketer of my work all came through having to figure out how to make money and freelance. It's really a kind of interesting thing. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, as people at the show probably know, I had my own studio for a long time. And the school of, I guess, learning about entrepreneurship still seems to be this like trial by fire kind of thing. Like unless you're able to hook up with a mentor or something, it's still really difficult to know like the right resources that you need to make money, to market yourself and stuff like that. And I know what you mean. I mean, shit, when I had my studio i was teaching i was consulting i was writing (laughs) 
I was doing, doing everything, yeah, right? doing doing anything that'll make a buck. Like, mm-hmm. oh, this this will make me some money. Okay, cool, let's do it. You know, so I know like that's how you pick up all those kind of skills and stuff by well, just having to and, hustle. And to that, and to that, this these are the important things that I think to what you just said, trial by fire. Like, you've got to be slightly insane to be like, I'm just going to do this and see yeah. what happens. You know what I mean? But, but I think it's one of the best things that a person could do. Not that everyone should freelance, but they should explore who they are as an individual. Because during that whole time, I've learned when to say no and how to say no. And then when to say yes, because like, you know, like I was saying, it's like you would take any job, like in your earlier career, you take any job just to make some money. But then you realize not every job's a good job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just have shitty clients and they abuse your creative abilities. And then you're like not making money, but doing more work. You know what I'm saying? So it's mm-hmm. like those are the lessons I think that were the most important for me, where now I can turn down client work and I may need the money, but I'm like, oh, I've dealt with a client like you before. And this is going to be way more hassle than it is worth the check. You know what I mean? (laughs) You get a a much more discerning eye. Uh, You can Uh see it coming from a mile away. Like, okay, I'm not. It's so funny because (laughs) right now, uh, I'm not I'm not going to tell the story because this will get me in trouble. But um, (laughs) I'll put it this way. There's a there's a there's a client that I worked with before. Uh-huh. who I am now currently working with in a different capacity. Uh-huh. And like, I could see that they were up to the bullshit because they were up to the bullshit the first time. <laughs> and like going into it the second time, I was like, this isn't, this ain't going to go well. And uh-huh. for the most part, it hasn't, uh-huh. but I knew going in like, okay, this is what it's going to be. At least you were prepared. You know what I mean? Is yeah, that- yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was certainly something where I could tell from a mile away, like, yeah, that's how this is how it's going to work. This is what they're going to do yeah. with communication. It's going to come at the last minute, and we're going to have to scramble and get stuff together and stuff like that. I always like, akin freelancing to like really good relationship gone bad. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's a real good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love her. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think a lot of people realize how much psychology really has to go into client relations, like being able to really kind of anticipate their needs. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's some compromise, but like knowing what they're it's funny, I, I <laughs> there was this article that I should write one day about how you can map you've heard of the the love languages, right? The five love languages? Oh like agave, agave, agave uh, and No no no, the ones that are like uh quality time acts of oh, service, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. words of yeah, affirmation, yeah, 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 yeah physical yeah. touch and gifts. Uh-huh. And so I, I was going to write this article about mapping the five love languages to your client to realize the best way to approach them. Because not every client... Oh, that is um, an excellent idea. Because not every client, you can approach them in the, in the same way. Like I try to ask the right questions up front to realize what's the best way to reach them. Like some of them, like if it's quality time, that means you're going to have to have more meetings with them. If mm-hmm. it's acts of service, that means there's stuff you're going to have to take off their plate. If it's words of affirmation, you have to keep like pumping them up. Like, oh, you're doing a great job. You're doing so great. Even if they might not be. <laughs> if it's physical touch, maybe they want to see you in person or something uh-huh. like that. If it's gifts, maybe, you know, you throw in a little extra something at the beginning of the project or something like that. So like trying to, to gauge how the client is, how they receive affection the best in order to be, I guess, a better 
I don't know, vendor to them or something. I don't know. I'll write it I one day. You, but I hope you write this article because that's a damn good <laughs> idea. <All right. laughs> You're about to put this out in the ethos. So, <laughs> so you, you mentioned oh, okay. coming here about nine or ten years ago. What drew you to the city? I was living in Savannah. I went to SCAD in Savannah. And I graduated. I was kind of like floating around. And I guess it was just time for a change. Honestly, I was there with an ex, you know what I mean? And we ended up moving out here. But prior to moving to Atlanta, I went and visited New York and I went and visited North Carolina. And as much as I loved New York and North Carolina, I just, especially with New York, it was something where it was, uh, I was walking around. I remember this walking around and, you know, I'm just there hanging out, meeting with friends and taking meetings. And I'm seeing everyone like just hustling, bustling, going to where they're going with no Mm -hmm. like you know, not taking time to even enjoy. And I was like, I don't want to live like that. Yeah. Then I went to North Carolina and North Carolina was too slow. Mm-hmm. And then I came to Atlanta and it just felt right. It was like a good pace. And even to this day, it's still a good pace for me. Whereas like when I want to hustle and bustle, I can. And then when I want to just sit on my patio and have a whiskey and <laughs> stare into the sky, <laughs> I can do that as well. You know, so I was the energy of Atlanta. I don't know. It just drew me here, I guess. <laughs> You came here nine or 10 years ago. You moved here from Savannah, like you said, and you kind of got your first start freelancing and everything. When did you feel like it sort of like clicked over for you that this is what you need to be doing? Like, when was that aha moment for you? I guess, as I mentioned in the story earlier, it was a matter of I was working and still working check to check. In my mind, I was like, I can do this working for myself. Like, if I'm going to work check to check. I don't want to have to get up in the morning, especially it was like winter and I had to like start my car and wait for it to warm up. Yeah. I was like, you could do this at home. <laughs> or actually, and another part to that story, a good friend of mine's back then, Carlin, asked me, I was at work one day and I came into work and the first question he asked me as I put my stuff down, he was like, hey, Sean, if you had eight hours of the day for you, what would you do with it? And I was like, I would work on my stuff. And he's like, yeah. And he just started going to work. And I went, well, that was poignant and weird at the same time. <laughs> but it, st- it stuck with me, even to this day. It stuck with me. It was like, he's right. Like, if I utilize eight hours in a day for working on my craft, working on my branding, working on my marketing, working on trying to get clients, where would I be and what would that look like? Mm-hmm. And so from that seed being planted, it was just like, yo, it's time to go. Like, I can be broke by myself. That's cool. I don't mind that. And that's when I switched over and I was just like, I'm going to do this full time and see what happens. And it's been some of the hardest, but also some of the most rewarding times because there's you can't fault anyone. If you fuck up, you fuck up. If you win, you win. You know what I mean? I've been blessed with really good friends along the way who've been very helpful and just for whatever reason, keep looking out for me. So shout out to all (laughs) all my friends. But (laughs) it's just one of those things where it's I don't mind being a self-starter. I can be lazy at times, but I don't mind putting in the work if it's worth it. You know what I mean? So, Do you see Atlanta differently now as a freelancer than when you were working for a company? Oh, man. So most of my time in Atlanta has been freelancing. <laughs> and okay. I, like Currently, I just started working for a company again. And back then when I did, I mean, I was much younger. I've always seen Atlanta. Like back then, Atlanta to me was like the wild wild west like we were out here like a lot of us artists designers like i remember 
mural people were just starting to do murals in Atlanta, very heavy, I should say. They've always been people out here doing them. But the art scene was different. It was just, oh, we want to put on a show. Cool. How are we gonna do it? We don't have money to rent a spot, blah, blah, blah. Let's just find a friend's house. We'll put a show there. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my homie wants to do a music show. How are we gonna do this? We'll do it in the backyard and figure that out later. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think Atlanta's energy and creative scene was just different. It was a lot of self-starters and a lot of people who were amped about it. No one was trying to be like, oh, you're better than me, blah, blah, blah. It was more like, yo, you're dope. Let's do some dope shit together. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that it was a lot of self-starters, a lot of the energy. Yeah, was yeah. Energy was completely different, man. It was just the Wild Wild West and people that wanted to do their craft did their craft. So now in Atlanta, I'm seeing how it's a lot of the same in that regard, but it's just different how people go about doing it, I guess. No, yeah, explain that a little bit. Like, how is it different? I mean, uh, and I guess in my eyes, it's, it's a little different. And mind you, like, I guess the creative scene is different from the music scene. I've, I've been able to dabble in a little bit of both. Like, the music scene definitely has blown up in a way in Atlanta that I just didn't even see coming. You know what I mean? Like, Atlanta's always been a music hub, but what it is now is just amazing. And to see, like, a lot of these younger kids in, in the self-starter mindset is amazing. I'm loving it. And the creative scene, the creative scene has changed because a lot of the galleries that we used to have, like Beep Beeps and whatnot, have closed. So it's a lot harder for younger artists in the city to make a mark in the city just because there's not a lot of outlets for those artists. You know what I mean? And there's some great galleries out here, but it's not as easy for them to show work, which is why I think social media on that regard is a great tool for them to get their work out. You know, so... Yeah, I know what you mean about kind of those uh, those lack of venues. Mm. I can just speak kind of from the design angle. We did a live event with Facebook last mm. year. We had some like designers come down from Facebook and we did a, a talk. And Facebook had controlled the guest list. Like they wanted to make sure they were inviting, you know, I guess the right folks and stuff to come to mm. it. I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, I've been to a lot of design events here in Atlanta. It is the first design event I've been to where I didn't feel out of place for being one of the few people of color mm. because... It was mostly people of color, mostly black people, actually. And the people there were like, man, when is the next one? When is the next one? I was like, it took six months to get this one together. (laughs) I don't know when the next one is going to be, but, but it, it showed me that clearly there is like this, this palpable need for some kind of a outlet or a gathering or something where people can kind of just get together and learn from each other and know each other that currently, I don't want to say it doesn't exist. But the current outlets that are out there certainly aren't trying to serve that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like good friends of mine, Christy and George Gomez, last year put on the propaganda show at Facet Gallery. And that was a strictly designed show. It was like poster design show. I remember talking Mm -hmm. with them being like, why why aren't there more graphic design shows out here? You know what I mean? Like (laughs) there's a lot of designers. Why aren't there more outlets for designers to showcase their work aside from work? Yeah. And, you know, sort of like I was saying, the outlets that are here, they're just not and they're just not serving the need. I don't think they're trying mm-hmm. to. And, you know, we spoke about this a little bit, you know, before we recorded mm-hmm. where we were talking about like, oh, it may be just something where they don't know. They know they choose not to do anything. And, you know, the culprits that I'm speaking of know who they are in terms of different <laughs> media outlets yeah, yeah. and organizations and such. But like. <clears throat> then it's, it still sort of seems like it's one of these things where we kind of have to, you know, like, 
We got to do it for ourselves, essentially. Honestly, and that's been the sentiment of so many of my friends, where it's like, like we talk about this a lot, where Atlanta doesn't have its own media conglomerate like that. And I'm not including Turner and all that. Like, I'm talking about how, like, New York has Vice and L.A. has Juxtapose. We have art papers, but art papers, like, most people don't even know, you know, they're Atlanta-based magazine. Like, we don't have those Mm -hmm. media outlets to even... Even we have all the talent in the world in this city, but we don't have anyone in this city being like, this is why you should fuck with these people. Here is the outlet for you to see these people and to find and research. And you not included, obviously, you're doing your thing, but I just, I'll just, <laughs> I mean, you're not included I, either. I, I mean, you know, aside from your shows and stuff, you've got a podcast as well. Exactly. You know, kind of getting that word. But, out. And that's the thing. Like, we need to continue doing these things because we don't have those larger, companies and mind you all those companies have satellite offices out here like i'm using vice for example they have satellite offices out here mm-hmm. but every time they do an atlanta piece is the most un-atlanta piece ever you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i guess i'll never be uh guest writing for vice now but well i mean so so knowing that about atlanta and and i guess just sort of i don't know do you think it's like a political reason why this is not because the the reason i ask this is because certainly we've got the eyes and attention from other media facets on atlanta you know television and entertainment for example they're filming here all the time i mostly hear about it through like atlanta magazine or something like that but you would think that there would be some kind of a a media outlet or something i'm surprised how big blogs are still here Mm -hmm. like entertainment blogs and stuff still seem to kind of be what those media sources are i think to that though it's a money grab you know what i'm saying like movies and mm. entertainment in that sense bring way more money to the city than and i hate to sound like this but then the arts arts and culture like we don't even have an arts district well castleberry was prepped to be the arts district and then for whatever reason it stopped you know what i mean like because of the stadium yeah. they're about to build a hard rock hotel over there like those art galleries and stuff gonna be go- yeah, once that hotel goes up and that property value skyrockets, those those galleries are gone. And there, and there we go. And, and another reason why <laughs> when the entertainment and music <laughs> scene grows and the movie scene's growing, that's not the only form of arts and culture that Atlanta has to offer. But we don't have yeah. any outlets. And, and let me rephrase that. I don't want to say any outlets because we have there are very good galleries out here. The amount of artists to the amount of galleries? It's just not beneficial. There's just no way you can support all these artists with so little galleries. And even on top of that, the galleries trying to support themselves, it, I'm sh- more than difficult, you know? So, so yeah. if I was going to say, if it's going to be something political, it's only in the idea that the policymakers can't see them making money off of this side of the arts and culture, whereas they see mm-hmm. a direct return from films coming to Atlanta from the stadium being built and hard, you know, and infrastructure changing. And yeah, I, I tell people that Atlanta has like an arts intersection. <laughs> like we've got, we got I like, like Peachtree and 14th street, like from 14th street up to 16th street, where you've got Woodruff Art Center, high museum, well, museum of design really. Atlanta. Yeah. No, no. I was just saying like, we've got that little sort of arts district ish right there. But I mean, there's so much more, so many galleries and shows and stuff just, outside of that i remember god this maybe was like about three years ago where 
I guess people were trying to actively brand quote unquote South downtown mm -hmm. as the new <laughs> over by like mammal gallery. And, um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like it, the new art district. They're like, Oh yeah. Come to Soto. I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is Soto? Well, they were, they you talking were, about down they, by five points? They were building, by they underground? Were building <laughs> that up for a minute. Right. But the thing is somebody an outside investor came in and bought up the whole thing. So that, like, that's yep. why mammal gallery closed. Like this one dude bought the whole left side of the street and was like, well, yeah, we're done here. And you're like, what the f like, again, it goes back to the money. Like if we had the ability to buy property and open up shops, creative shops, studios, things that could help benefit. Like this is why I always give Maya love. Maya Bailey 100 percent is on that road. Like he from City of Ink down, he runs that block. You know what I mean? And that whole strip is primarily based for the artists and arts. And he, that's what he's trying to do with Peter Street Station and all that. I got to give him love and props for that because it's like, first off, it's a difficult thing to do because you got to have the capital to even try to do it or find the capital. Mm -hmm. And then once you do, you have to like build it out. But once it's built out, they, you know, to be cliched, if you build it, they will come. Like if Atlanta gave the opportunities to these artists and even musicians, all that, you'll see. I mean, like, obviously it works in the film industry, like, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. I mean, and I don't think it's a thing where Atlanta is clearly not afraid to invest in itself, mm -hmm. but you it's just where they choose to place those investments. Mm. You know, like clearly they'll put it into movies and, and television and stuff like that. But when it comes to like the art stuff that really like gives Atlanta its soul, like all the murals and stuff that you see or the different art shows and things. It seems like there's always this fight between artists and the city as it relates to that. I'm thinking, you know, just recently with Fabian Williams, oh, yeah, with the whole occasional superstar, and how he had to go up against the city. Yep. <laughs> yeah, which is ridiculous. It's like, how do you tell yeah. private business owners that they can't pay artists to put murals on their businesses? What are you talking about? Or, or on top of that, like you have to go through the city to get a permit to do that is what the thing is. But it's like, well, now I have to wait a year and a half because the city of Atlanta is slow as shit sometimes. And it's like, I that's money that's gone. <laughs> like, I need that. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm a working artist. What do you want me to do? Like, uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Atlanta is, it's, I don't know, it's an odd city when it comes to the value of art and design. The governor, Nathan Deal, I recently talked about how Atlanta is like ready for business. It's number one for business and all this stuff. But when the businesses don't value design, when they see it as a commodity, when they don't see it as kind of how it gives a lifeblood to their brand or to the work that they do, everyone suffers. I mean, it's not like we don't have the talent here. We've got SCAD. We've got Art Institute of Atlanta. We've got Portfolio Center. We've got the institutions. We've got the museums. We've got the galleries, you know, and we certainly have a, a strong class of freelancers because all these kids graduate and then they can't find a job. So they got to work for themselves. So like, it's, it's not like there's a lack of talent in the city, but I don't know what something needs to change where, you know, it feels like the city just values art and design as something that makes Atlanta, Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know. I've, I've told this story before on the podcast about how I used to do work with the Atlanta convention and visitors bureau, which is basically the, like the downtown hotel owners and venue owners and stuff that try to bring in money to the city. Mostly they try to bring in 
conventions because it's the Atlanta Convention and Visitors Bureau. So they're trying to think about, well, what big conventions can we bring downtown? And I worked for them back in like 2005, 2006, so pre-Georgia Aquarium, when the homeless population downtown was really big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the way that they would market the city is they would only talk about the Peachtree Corridor. They would only talk about that stretch of Peachtree from downtown to maybe the Varsity. Okay, I got you. They would only talk about that. They would not talk about... I think this was before Atlantic Station, now that I think about it. They wouldn't talk about Decatur. They wouldn't talk about anything over on the west side because the west side wasn't even <laughs> developed as it, it was, was right it was now. The irony, everybody uh, trying to buy, buy, buy in the west side anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. And then in terms of anything south of the city, like south of downtown, wow. the airport and maybe the zoo. Mm-hmm. So like they would highlight all these little like, you know, family friendly, touristy kind of spots like go to Six Flags. I'm like, people, people in Atlanta, don't, I don't know if people in Atlanta are really going to Six Flags like that anymore. But like just they would spotlight all these little touristy things and not like the stuff that makes Atlanta, Atlanta, you know, not saying that they have to do something on the strip clubs. Yeah. It wouldn't hurt <laughs> if they tried it. But okay, so even but they're even not back, even gonna try even it. Back then, the underground was pumping in Atlanta. Then, right? Because yeah, if that's all pre, no, that was pre. They were still having the peach drop downtown. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, that. But it was before, like I guess whatever those clubs are that are downtown and now, like Kenny's Alley and stuff. <laughs> no, Kenny's Alley was there. It was before. I mean, right now, underground has been bought. You know, we said about this new developer, yeah, right. and they're trying to redevelop it. But this was when, this was when basically all the like. Basically, kids from Atlanta public schools were skipping school. They'll go to the they'll underground. Go to underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go down there. You go down there in the middle of the day, and it's nothing but kids. Like, shouldn't y'all be in school? Yeah, yeah. Like they hanging out at Dairy Queen. And shit. Like, just. <laughs> oh God, I don't know. Well, side note: as we're sitting here talking about Atlanta, you know, nobody else can just come in here and talk shit about Atlanta. I just need to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make sure I put that out there. We're, we're, yeah, we got. Yeah, we de- we definitely the. the so, you know. Yeah, I, I know we didn't put a disclaimer at the beginning of the show, but like we both have been here for a minute, so we can we can talk about it in this way. Don't don't come from outside the city trying to talk shit. So exactly. go go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, let me ask you this. You know, what I'm saying what what do you think? Because as I'm saying all this, like I used to be a lot more proactive, and these days I'm kind of selfishly taking a step back and working on my own career and my life right now. So I'm not as active as I used to be and like make, you know, trying to be around to be like, Oh yeah, we got to do this. We got to do that. But in your mind, what do you think could be done from people in the city, I guess, to help shine light. And you've talked about like a lot of the stuff you've done and being on boards and whatnot, but in your view, what do you think could change? (laughs) Oh man, what could change? So there's a few things. One, there certainly needs to be a stronger connection between the business community and the design and arts community. What I think certainly ends up happening, and I think this probably happens in a lot of big cities, but Atlanta feels pretty unique in this way, where design is very grossly commodified. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. There's a, a I think he's a, a council person or something, but he's a, a representative who works for the city, Amir Faroki. Mm-hmm. He recently put out this contest for people to design like a sign or something. It's like a, a, a parking sign or something. No, you know what it is? You know when you go to parking lots and they have that white sign with all those black letters on uh-huh. it? It's like some Georgia code about parking. Uh-huh. He put out a design contest oh, for people to redesign that sign. Oh, now, there's hundreds of lots around oh, the city where that sign is. 
the prize for that yeah. was five hundred dollars. Stop, kill yourself. Stop, done. Yeah, yeah. Five hundred dollars. I was like, that sign is going to be seen by hundreds of thousands of people. It's going to be in hundreds of locations around the city, and y'all can only come up off of five hundred dollars. And you made it a contest? Yo, okay. First of all, I'm like, does, is there anyone that works for the city that could design this? First of all. <laughs> Second of all, why not pick a local firm to do it? Now, I know that City of Atlanta has has done some work with Matchstick, which is a firm here yeah. in, in the city. They've done some work with them for some signage. I don't know if they just decided not to go with them and thought this was maybe a, a cheaper route. I don't know. But then $500 is a slap in the face now, for that kind of a project. If I may, I have a story to add on to that as well. Because you said that, and this okay. was the first time. So I was on Twitter one night. This was a couple of years ago. I was on Twitter one night. I was I used to like get drunk and just rant on Twitter late at night, two in the morning. Nobody, nobody <laughs> it anyway. But <laughs> there was a tweet from the city of Atlanta about a design contest for a, the new logo for the mayor's office or I cannot remember what it was. Anyway, I remember seeing it and I was like, and drunkenly, I was like, yo, this is an insult to designers everywhere because we need to get paid. Like you just said, you can't haphazardly commodify design by making it a contest. So I go in, right? I'm just talking shit. Mm -hmm. The next morning, my friend calls me and she's like, hey, Sean, I'm in a meeting right now over the tweets you <laughs> sent last night. I was like, you're kidding. She's like, no, somebody saw them and we're having a meeting about not doing the contest anymore. And all kind of shit. And I was like, you know, wow. part of me was like, yo, I hope I didn't get you in trouble. First off, you're my homie. Second off, I'm glad that happened because that's rude. Like, like you just said, there are too many design firms. I'm sure somebody in the city of Atlanta or the office of Atlanta work uh, is a designer. Like, pay people, like, pay people what they're worth. <laughs> right. And I mean, so, and I, I don't know if they en ended up ending the contest or not, but I, the last time that I saw it, they had over 200 entries. Mm. So sort of like when we were speaking to before about when you're freelancing, you kind of just got to get out there and get the work. Mm -hmm. Some people saw that as like a way to like, look, I got to try to get my name out there. Let me just go ahead and do it. I don't fault those designers yeah. for having to do that because that's what we have to do to sustain ourselves. I totally place the fault at the city for that kind of thing. $500 is peanuts for that level. Because, you know, I think when, when we think about how we price projects, it's not just about the labor that goes into it, but it's also about the, perce the perceived value of the end result. Mm -hmm. So like a logo that you do for like, a friend versus a logo that you do for Nike, of course you're going to charge Nike more, not just because they're a bigger company, but also that logo may be seen by a way bigger audience. So it's going to mean more to the company, just like this sign is going to mean more to the city because it's in every lot in the city. $500. You can't even divide the number of lots by 500. That's like what? Less than a dollar? That's like you can change. And you know what? I, exactly. You know what I always say because I treat design, especially when it comes to like logo designs and whatnot, I always say a logo design is your birthmark. It's always going to be with you. Regardless, like once I'm done with it, I'm done with it. Unless I've worked out a contract where I'm getting percentages, you know, on a dollar. But I'm, most times I'm not dealing with clients that large anyway. In my mind, when people are like, why does a logo cost so much? Or why does it cost so much? It's like, well, it's the value you put on your company. It's like, what's your company worth to you? 
then this is nothing. Mm -hmm. If you plan on being a company that's going to be around 10 years from now, once my job is done, my job is done. I'm not going to see you again unless, you know, it's a rehire. But more than likely, I'm going to do the work, try to do the best that I can, and you'll keep moving forward and, you know, hopefully go on to be wildly successful. And I've made X amount of dollars while you are living on a yearly income on the company that you started. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's just that. But yeah, like. And, and, and. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Like that, that gross commodification of how design is perceived in the city, I feel like could go a long way in terms of just changing the value of how it's perceived. Like if they see design as something that they know is going to transform their business or transform their product or something like that, then they'll pay more for it. And then there'll be more interest from the local community and stuff like that. The second thing, you know, and we've talked about, you know, these institutions, you mentioned our papers. I didn't mention AIJ Atlanta by name, but I will now these organizations have to do a lot better in terms of diversity. Mm. It makes no sense to be in a city as diverse <laughs> and as black as Atlanta and still neglect these communities when it comes down to programming, mm -hmm. when it comes down to events, when it comes down to opportunities. Like some of this stuff, I know it's like, unless you happen to be a student, you're not going to find out about some things, mm -hmm. which... Okay, I understand that you're a student. I get that. That's fine. But like for the working professional, you know, it's like you almost have to be in this in-group in some sort of way. And even then, that's no guarantee that the work is going to get yep. done or that things are going to happen. They're going to try to put it on you to make it happen for them because they can't do it themselves or don't want to do it themselves or don't choose to do it themselves. Uh. Like one of the reasons that I wanted to put out Revision Path in this way is because I just saw from design media in general this lack of really looking at black designers as a whole. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So it's like, I know that we're out here. I'm one. I got friends that are ones. Why is nobody talking to us about our work? So I'm going to talk to us about our work. Quick, right. I, I, I've had this happen to me several times and I try not to think about it. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I wake up black every day. So it's one of those things where it's just like, I'm living with it. So it, it doesn't bother me as much, but I think about it every once in a while. And I've had friends literally come up to me and like sean and not in an insultive way it's like you should be way further along than you are and i'm, I'm like mm -hmm. i'm like yo i get it and they're and they they'll mention it's like what if you weren't a black male doing what you're doing what if you were a white man or a white woman or a woman in general or any other thing and you have the career that you currently have i like i'd probably be rich but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. i don't look I, I try i try not to look at it like that because it's like ah but we, you know, to what you are saying, sorry for cutting you off. It's one, is it racial? Is it one of those things? Because sometimes I got to think about it. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder that. I mean, I feel like at this point, and, and I'm, you know, strictly speaking for myself here, I, I feel like at this point in my career, it is. Mm. It's nothing but that. Mm. People that are listening. It's right there, man. Like, it is. And, and I mean, and it's one that, quite frankly, I don't feel like, I mean, we don't want to go around thinking about this shit all day. We got work to do. We got art to create. We have other stuff in this world to do uh -huh. than to have the specter of racism take up space in our everyday thoughts, impeding us from doing what it is that we have to do, right? Mm -hmm. At this point in my career, I do feel that it is a racial thing. Like, with the work that I've been doing, with the reach that I've been able to get, when I know that certain things aren't happening for mm -hmm. me, particularly from certain parties that know of the work, 
then I'm like, it has to be that. Yeah, well, you know, Cause I'm like, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I'm a good person still, to work with. I'm a hard worker, yeah. you know? Well, des- design so is still like, a good old boys club. That's the thing. Like people forget. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, and that's, it, that's it definitely the is. country. You know what I mean? Like give and take, like you love doing design, but I remember the New York times put out an article a couple years ago about the ad, ad agencies and why there weren't, more diversity in ad agencies or people of color in uh, positions of higher positions in ad agencies. Mm-hmm. And this was a couple of years ago. And it was funny at the time, my friend was working for vitamin water and he was the one who hyped me onto the article. And this was like a major article in the New York times. And I was just like, if they're writing about this, obviously it's a like people have known it's been a problem for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And New York times is writing about it. Like, I think you said it earlier. It becomes a point where it's no longer ignorance and they just are yeah. choosing not to do anything about it. For you to be where you are in your career and you have to sit down and be like, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's that's real. <laughs> and I mean, and I'm not saying that to like place myself on a certain level or uh, anything, but I, I feel like for anyone that's been in this industry, that's been doing this for over five years, you've put it in your time yeah you deserve to be getting the respect that you should get. You know, it's it's not even, I mean, yes, it's about making sure that you get the work and that you're getting the money, of course, but like you want the respect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, if you don't feel like you're getting the respect for your work, it's like, why am I doing yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you can only take yourself so far with like, you're always going to love your work or res- you, you're, uh, you're not always going to love all the work you make, but <laughs> you're going to love the fact that you're able to make your work. But if you're just yeah. making it in a vacuum, like you just said, what's the point? <laughs> and if you if yeah. you feel like there's a glass ceiling, also what's the point? You know what I mean? That's that, and it's disheartening. Like sometimes you're like, I'm doing all of this, and then for what? And how will I grow from this? How will this make me better? If and I don't want to sound like victimizing or anything because this isn't the case. It's just a sometimes there is a glass ceiling in the idea of the creative world for people of color and lack of diversity and like i wanted to be an artist like an artist in the 80s and a good friend of mine was like yo those times are gone though <laughs> yeah and i was like even made harder by being a black artist you know what i mean it still doesn't shouldn't discourage you from following your dreams and working and pursuing it but it does make it more difficult listen there's a quote by nina simone where she says you have to learn to get up from the table when love is no longer being served <laughs> That's how it feels sometimes mm. being a creative person in Atlanta. Mm. It doesn't feel like you're getting that love that you feel you should be getting for your mm. work. And, you know, I, and I've said this in previous episodes, like sometimes you have to leave mm-hmm. in order for Atlanta to then recognize you to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Such and such. There was an episode that you did on your podcast, The Influencers Present. Oh, shout out. For everybody I listening, make sure, you, make sure you <laughs> get on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> where y'all were talking about like well y'all were talking about atlanta but you were talking about the people that had left atlanta and it wasn't until they left that they started like blowing up yeah it's a you know time and time again it it happens and it's so ridiculous <laughs> yeah like i don't know what what it is that that creates that weird sort of vacuum here where we're not get. i don't know if it's oversaturated i don't think it's oversaturation i don't know what it is i don't know i would hope that if the organizations do more and if business can really not look at design as such a design and art in general as a commodity, mm. that that would help a mm. lot just in terms of like 
seeding the economy and like getting folks out there. But I mean, you know, when I came to Atlanta and I came in 99 and when I graduated in 03, I mean, Atlanta's reputation was that it was just a transit city. Like you came in, you got what you needed and you got out. It was not a place that you stay and like put down roots or anything. And I had really been thinking for a long time, you know, during my twenties, like, Oh yeah, man, I need to leave. I need to go to New York or somewhere where I can like take my design stuff to the next level. Mm. It sucks that it has to be that way. It sucks that it kind of still feels that way. Like, don't get me wrong. Now I like being here. I think it's probably just cause I'm, older and more settled i'm like i don't want to move but (laughs) like i like all my stuff is here i don't want to like pick it up and go anywhere else yeah but you know there's still that feeling like i'll still go out to some design events and be the only black person in the room like there's still this weird kind of i don't know it's it's just so odd and i don't get this feeling in other like when i go to other cities and stuff i do not at all get this feeling it's so different when i like my reception that i get when i go to other cities and stuff is just so different when I'm here in Atlanta and it's kind of a double-edged sword because yeah, I can like go out to Publix and get stuff and nobody's like, you know, hounding me about shit. And I don't mean this in like some weird sort of celebrity kind of way, but like there is a level of, of anonymity that's great. And, but I don't know. It's I'm rambling at this point. I guess what I'm trying to say is I understand that thing about like feeling like you don't get the respect for what you're doing. You know what? uh, So I think as we've been griping and you know, (laughs) (laughs) i think the next uh, the next step is all right so we understand there's a problem now fortunately for the both of us we have platforms where we're allowed to educate and from that education hopefully people can listen to these episodes and people in position of power people in position with uh financial backing to be like oh never thought about it like that Never thought about it this way. Let's see how we can get people to come together, maybe have a roundtable meeting and see how we can change it. Maybe we can get these influencers in the same room with these business owners in the same room with the people with you know political backing. That's mm-hmm. literally, I guess, the next step in my mind of how we can turn this around for Atlanta to see the alt- arts and cultures aspect from design and murals and painters and see the value in all of that as they see the value in the film industry and in the music industry. You know what I mean? I think it's just a better education yeah. for them. And like you said earlier, some people know, they know what's going on. They just choose not to do anything. I'm not concerned about mm-hmm. them anymore because <laughs> they're just going to get in the way. You know what I mean? That's, that's it. It's going to get yeah, in the yeah. way. Like, I'm more concerned about reaching out to people who didn't know and, but want to know, because, you know, even when you ride around in Uber and whatnot and you're talking to people like I, I live in, Ca- I was about to say Castleberry, <laughs> I live in Cabbage Town and, and, you know, I take Ubers a lot of places and people ride through Crog Tunnel and they're like, oh, they ride down, you know, shout out to Four Warrior. They see all the murals on the wall and they're just like, oh, Atlanta mm-hmm. has a lot of great artists, a lot of great talent. Or I'll talk to people who are just Ubering as a side thing and they're like, I really need to get in contact with A, B and C. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. you're in the car with one of Atlanta's. <laughs> you know I mean? but it's, people want to know. That's the thing. Like people, they, they're truly like, even if they're not business owners or anything, like the people in Atlanta are interested in the arts. They might have kids yeah. who are interested in the arts or want to be artists and they don't have an outlet and don't know how to reach anyone. And this is how as small as these podcasts are, as large as they are, this is how things change. And I'm hoping 
through this conversation. I guess I found out what it is that I, I want people to know, take away. <laughs> I <had to> <laughs> Atlanta on understanding the value of the arts community in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And, and I mean, it's actually something that I am actively working on trying, like you mentioned, you know, kind of doing that, that round table of some sort. I'm working on that. We should actually, we should talk about that after we finish recording about yep. that, about trying to make something happen. Cause certainly it's at the point now where I think designers here know that it's a problem and it's just not even being talked about, at least not in a forum or in a way where the people that need to hear it can mm-hmm. hear it. I think there's certainly a lot of like preaching to the choir, mm-hmm. but getting it out there in front of the business community. So they know about like, do you know, you have, you've heard of um, the Atlanta design festival. No, I'm thinking of another design festival. I don't think it, I haven't heard that one. No, no, no. So Atlanta Design Festival, it takes place, it's usually like the last week of May, like right after Memorial Day or so. Uh It's mostly geared towards architecture, from what I can tell. Uh It's put on by this group called Design is Human, M.A. So... Uh, actually, MA, actually, it's a black a, a black dude puts it together. Actually. Yeah, yeah. So that's the design is yeah. So I know about MA because they actually drop really dope design books over the summer. Yeah, and my yeah. homie George and Christy, they worked with him before putting on events. Maybe it's the same thing because did they do a walk last year allowing you to go see all the new modern homes that were being built? Yeah, yeah, that's oh, it. That's okay, yeah. Thing. So I've heard of it. <laughs> okay, yeah. They started doing like little panels and stuff i wasn't able to go to all the panels but i went to one that they had with uh mike china who is this illustrator slash dj slash he's kind of like an illustrator slash dj essentially Mm. based out of minnesota he's done i mean he does some really great like old school mixes and stuff like that and i was just kind of surprised by i don't know first of all it was just it wasn't really that what i could tell it wasn't really well publicized i only found out about it through like a friend of a friend Mm. But those kind of events, I mean, certainly Atlanta can attract world-class designers and people to come here. Not just people like Mike Chena, like we've had Paula Scher has been mm-hmm. here, Stephen Heller, Debbie Millman comes a few times a year, Gail Anderson was just here last month. So like we're able to attract like big names and design to come to Atlanta. And when those people come to Atlanta, because I've spoken mm-hmm. to them, they'll come to Atlanta and be like, man, y'all really have some, like there's just something about Atlanta that you can't find anywhere else. And it's like, you wish Atlanta could see that because other people do facts. Other people are coming here like, man, Atlanta is so dope. And Oh my God. It's so, Oh, I can't, I can't. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's really frustrating, but I am working on it. I'm talking to people. And like I said, we'll, we'll talk after this about something. Cause certainly I mean, between the two of us, I think we could pull something. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. To yeah, at least have a, a panel or something. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Something. I want to switch gears here because I do have some questions from our audience. I know we've, like you said, we kind of been kind of griping for the past. <laughs> We're just two old men, just on the bench. Yeah, just two cranky old men, just just talking shit about design. Yeah, I'm curious to know kind of about your creative process, and this is a question from uh, from one of our patrons, Kojo. He wants to know what in your process spurs you to be so honest in your work. Are you naturally introverted or extroverted? And I guess, you know, for either one of those, how does that affect your process? Okay, good question. I'm one of those kids that I think I lean more towards the extroverted side, but I do thoroughly enjoy my alone time. But when I'm out, I'm, I'm very sociable. I like talking with people. I like hearing stories and telling stories. So 
that's where I lean towards. Being honest in my work, I mean, I don't like bullshitting people. And I don't think my art should bullshit people either. <laughs> and so I don't mind being embarrassed. That's the thing. So if I'm going to create okay. work, I don't mind putting myself out there. And I want to tell honest stories because when I die, that's all that's going to be left of me. You know what I mean? So mm. I would like for people, I don't want to have people in art classes pontificating what I was thinking. I told you what I was thinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guess as scary as that can be, sometimes it's therapy for me and it helps me just kind of yeah. get it all out and then I can move forward. Like I have a story in my book where the title of the story is Drinking Because I Can't Afford Therapy. <laughs> it's kind of like the same deal with making art. It's like, I can't afford therapy. I don't have health care, but I do have art. And so I'm allowed to mm-hmm. be honest through that. <laughs> No, I like that about you said, you know, like when you die, that's all that's left. That is so true mm. just in terms of writing in general. Mm. So the the award that I won, I don't mean to put it out hey, there like hey, that, hey, but hey. Uh, this award that I won this. <laughs> no, no, so I won this award this year. No, but, <laughs> but it's the Stephen Heller Prize for Cultural Commentary it came from AIGA. Oh. And like they had it at the big gala. They have this big gala in New York every year, like a $300 a plate go up on the stage, give a speech, wear a tux kind of gal. It was, it was pretty dope. But one thing that I got from talking with Steven, who the prize is named after, as well as other people that I've had on the show, like Eddie O'Para or Gail Anderson, et cetera, is like just how important it is for designers, particularly designers of color, most particularly black designers, to write down and document what they're doing. Like how important it is. And whether it's about their work or just about life in general, it's important to write that stuff down because you go go to a design bookstore and see how many books you can find that black designers have written. <laughs> you know what? I've never like, even tried. Very few, <laughs> if any, if any. And I'm not saying that it necessarily has to even be something about the craft. I mean, we've had designers on the show before that write. They don't necessarily write about design and art, but they just write in general just to get their stuff out there. So at least something else about them is out there in a tangible fashion in the world, you know what I mean? But it's just so important to be able to articulate and and get that work out there in some kind of way. So I'm really glad to hear that like that of course that your writing does that for you, but that you that sort of honesty shines through your work because you want to make sure that your story is being told in your own words. Mm-hmm. It's important, man. I remember being in art history and like, you know, everybody's just having the conversation of oh, what do you think Basquiat meant? Or what do you think he meant? And it's like, uh, I don't know. I would. I wish they were here to tell me. <laughs> I, I, don't yeah, mind, yeah. I don't mind thinking and pondering it, but I, I don't want people like trying to guess. Uh, here it is. <laughs> yeah. So with everything that you're doing in Atlanta, you know, your art, your writing, you're making films, you're throwing events. What is it about the city that still inspires you? Man, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm a masochist. I can't. (laughs) No, this city, (laughs) it's a beautiful city, man. Like every time I've gotten to a point where I'm upset, want to leave, keeps calling me back. I think what it is, is that I became an adult in this city and I've made my greatest strides in my career here, as well as some of my biggest failures and mistakes. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a great city. Plus the rent's still cheap. 
Like, well, <laughs> relatively. <laughs> Gentrification is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hey, I'm, I'm in the West End. I know yeah. all too well. It's definitely a real thing. But yeah, no, it's just, I don't know. I keep meeting great people. And I know when I talk to my friends that leave, and they're happy where they're at, but they're like, yo, there's just not a community out where they are like they had in Atlanta. And that's one thing that mm-hmm. I've found in this city that's been amazing. It's I've found great people after all the griping and, you know, shit talking. It's just there's great people here and good energy here. And even when I run into people who are about bullshit, I don't have to worry about seeing them too long. You know what I mean? Like that just never stays in my life. So I think that's it. Yeah, (laughs) That's true. That's very true. What do you want to accomplish this year? This year? For the rest of the year, what do you want to get going? Oh, yeah. This year, well... I, I think I accomplished the one main thing, and that was finally putting this damn book out. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I definitely can say that one's in the bag. I wanted to travel a little more, and I'm starting to do that. I think what's next is I'm going to try to focus more on my design and art making and just trying to kind of level up, basically. I think this year was more of a, like, I'm focusing on bringing it all together and having it all make sense for the audience because I do so many things. I feel like it confuses people sometimes. And so they're like, Mm -hmm. Oh, but I thought you were, you know, I thought you were a writer or I thought you were a painter. Do you still paint Sean? And I'm trying to figure out a way to God, I'm about to say the word branded all together and make it Mm -hmm. make sense. You should give yourself your own designation. And then that way, Mm Whenever anyone talks about the work that you do, they have to frame it in that way. Like, for example, we had a guy on the show, episode 85. His name is Silas Monroe. And he's a, he's a designer. He's an educator. He does a bunch of stuff, too. And he, I think he calls himself a polymodal designer. Okay. And so every time when you see him described, it's like Silas Monroe, polymodal designer, which forces people to then have to ask him what that means so that he can then explain that it's all these kind of other things because you know as you pick up skills and stuff it is much harder to kind of just place yourself under one designation yeah yeah most definitely and it's like when you enjoy doing all the things that you can do you know you're not gonna stop you know what i mean i'm I'm 35 now man i'm at a point in my life where it's like i'm not slowing down you need to speed up that's where i'm at What advice would you give to somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps? Don't, don't even start. <laughs> Save yourself. So go be a banker. Like <laughs> When I'm asked that question, I always say, keep making work. It's going to pay off. But you have to define what success means for you. Like mm. Once you understand what level of success you're trying to reach, then do the work. And don't be concerned about, at least in the beginning, don't be concerned about, oh, I'm not getting any love, blah, blah, blah. Do the work. Be consistent and be patient. And things usually fall in line. And it might not be on your time, but it's always on time. Yeah. Who are some other artists here in Atlanta that we need to know about? Oh, Lord. For the people that are listening, I mean, not everyone that listens is going to be here in the city. I mean, I, I think what I've seen so far, just from the feedback from these episodes, people are like, man, I had no idea Atlanta was like this. But so if people are outside the city <laughs> or even in the city that don't know, like who are some people that they need to be checking out? I got to preface this with, I got a lot of friends, a lot of art. Friends. Okay. So if I leave you off the list, it's only because I forgot. 
and not because I hate you. <laughs> Just to start, my homie Vec Neal, amazing photographer. Brandon Sadler, amazing artist. Frico Rico, another amazing artist. My homie Trevor, Zip, Kiana, who else? Peter Ferrari, Nick Benson. Like, there's a list of art, and these are artists from mirrorless to uh, curators to illustrators, photographers. Who else? Mike Bailey's out here. Artemis Jenkins, who made the movie, if you know the words, feel free. And who else? I'm leaving a lot of people off this list, and I apologize in advance. Just come to Atlanta, walk around, and see some murals. At, follow these people on Instagram. They'll lead you to other people. Sunitna's another dope-ass uh, illustrator. Who else? Will Mitchell. Yeah, there's so many artists. I guess that list is a great way to start. And then if you follow them on their Instagrams or just Google their names, it'll lead you to a bunch of different artists as well. Okay. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? What do you want? What do you want to be doing? What's Sean Foy going to be up Shit, to man. in 20, glowing show, 2023? <laughs> I'm going to be shot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nothing but gold for me, baby. <laughs> no, I, I'm reaching a point in my career where I'm, I'm very happy. I'm like doing really dope design work. If anything, I, I want to be doing what I'm doing just on a larger platform and hopefully with the ability to put younger, really talented artists and good creative people on. That's where I would hope to be in the next like five to 10 years where like, I don't have to worry about my bank account anymore. And I could just, you know, I still got to do work. I want to be making good work. I want to be making impactful work. And I want to be working with my friends, still doing the same shit I'm doing, but just better. (laughs) I feel you. All right. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Sean, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Hey, listen, you know what I'm saying? Tell your audience to Google me, baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Sean Foy, S-E-A-N-F-A-H-I-E. And that's for all platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My personal website, which I need to update is sfoy, S-F-A-H-I-E.com. If you want to reach out for design work, you can see my portfolio there. And then if you would like to hear me on a weekly basis, we also have theinfluencers.us where I have my podcast with my friends 100K and Sharice Renee. And we put that out every week. You can also find my books, like I was saying, on Amazon or at barnesandnobles.com. Cool, man. Well, Sean, I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show. You know, as as I said, when we first started recording, like I've been following your work for years. I really wanted to have you on the show to get your kind of unique perspective on what it's like kind of being a working artist in the city. And I think what's really been interesting about doing this month is that from talking to four different people, I I hope that folks get a good kind of well-rounded sense about I guess what it's like to be a working artist or a designer here in the city. And I mean, I think just for you in particular, the fact that you're doing so many things here, the books, the events, you are also working with your friends. You've helped, you know, kind of build a community here. I mean, it's no surprise to me that you got voted as a Renaissance man. And I hope that folks that are listening 
to this episode will recognize that as well. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate oh, thank it. you. Actually, if I could say one more thing, I don't know if it'll still be open by the time this comes out, but Creative Loafing has me as a finalist for a uh, best local author. So if your listeners are listening, please go to Creative Loafing and vote for me so I can sell more books. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on, though. Thank you. Thoughts of love are And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Sean Foy and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sean and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. With a community of over 2 billion people, the design team at Facebook works on a diverse range of problems. Everything Facebook designs is done at scale, so research, content strategy, data, and other factors are a huge part of how they work. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Now, if you've seen Glitch, you might think, oh, this maybe looks a little bit like a toy, but trust me, it's not. It runs on the exact same infrastructure and engine that the best developers in the world use to run their apps. And it's all built around a friendly community of coders, designers, developers, artists, activists, and educators. Basically, people just like you. Get started on making something awesome today at Glitch.com. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It helps more people learn about the show, not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. It helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings for design podcasts, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.